Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. A uh, really interesting subject today. I mean, I know they're always interesting, but this one's particularly interesting. With me is Wendy Thomas robbins and uh, she's joining us from across the pond. So, hello, Wendy. Hello, hello. It's good to be here. And Wendy's um, exquisitely dressed in her very, very posh and expensive Porsche T-shirt with, with a very expensive-looking set of crutches by her side. Is that right, Wendy? Oh, yes. It's an interesting time right now. Yes. Um, yep. Knee surgery. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here for as long as you need me to. This is what I do now. This is yeah. my, my, my biggest pastime is sitting. There's no escape. Nope. 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 False imprisonment for sure. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm picking up from the accent that either you're originally from the States or you, you're based over there. What, what, which one is it? Um, both. Yes, I actually am sitting right outside of Boston, but you wouldn't get that from my accent, I'm sure. Um, I can fall right back into it if you'd like, but cool. I'd, rather not, you. I'd rather not go there. But I lost my accent very quickly when I went to college, so um, this is this is me now. Are you from the deep south or something? Have you got one of those broad drawls going on? <laughs> Have you been civilized by going to Boston? <laughs> No, no, I, I grew up here. I was born just outside of Boston. Oh, yeah. It's a lovely part of the world. Well, anyway, we're not here to jest around your name and accent. So let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is anxiety, which is, you know, the subject of the moment, uh, the word on everybody's list, lift, lips, even. So tell us what it is that you do. So I'm a corporate attorney and have been um, for over 20 years. Um, so I have had anxiety disorders, panic attack disorders, OCD for um, almost 40 years, really, until I recently, in the last few years, really did a lot of work, took a journey to see if I could, um, you know, find freedom from, from all of my disorders, my conditions that had really um, disabled me, you know, in a lot of ways for, for decades. Um, but you know, I managed to obviously keep my job during that time. And so I'm still a full-time lawyer, but now I'm an author and the speaker and really um, a mental health advocate at, at this time. You're fulfilling the American dream of being a type A personality and uh, you've, you've dealt with your anxiety, so you don't have two jobs. Exactly. exactly. So, I, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> the idea of work-life balance to attorneys is actually quite interesting. I work with a lot of uh, lawyers and legal 
professionals and surgeons and such like who are you know in that you know 100 hours a week category so you've just added another bits of pieces of work on top so that that's good to know yeah two full-time jobs it's so your recipe for anxiety is forget the anxiety just work harder <laughs> well i call yeah i call myself an anxious overachiever right and i really think that we are long distance sprinters right we're just sprinting our entire lives trying to run from the anxiety that is inside of us and in, in achieving things, we think that, you know, the external is going to cure what's going on internally. And I found that that's really when I hit rock bottom with my, with my own mental health issues was when I had achieved everything that I thought would make it go away. You know, I had the house, I had the husband, I had the law firm job, I had the, the golden retriever, you know, right down to the, the last little, you know, pull the pulled the bow tight on the top of the box and it was me inside the box still struggling more than ever. I thought you were going to pull the bow tight on the top of the golden retriever there for one horrible moment so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 um so what is it about attorneys what is it about lawyers people like that those high functioning sociopathic professions where you're working like mad things uh, and you have this massive anxiety. What, what, what's at the root of all that, do you think? Because a lot of people will, will um, buy into that or empathize with where you're coming from. I think, that, um, I think that that profession in particular is something that we think will make people proud or make, make us look like we've achieved something or allow us to help others. And I think that that's a lot of what we think will make us feel better and make the anxiety subside. If we already have anxiety, you know, going in and um, during our schooling years and things like that, I think that um, it seems like a noble profession that's looked on um, in the United States, at least, as a very, um, you know, worthy cause, like something that you can be proud of. And you've gotten through all of this schooling, and you know, you're certainly making your parents proud, things like that. So I think when you're trying to mask your anxiety, you do adopt things like perfectionism and people pleasing. And I know that I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer from, from a very young age, but I did go back and question that. Was that just because I thought that that's what the world would perceive as a very accomplished role for me? Would that please my parents? Would that, you know, where did that desire really come from? So I think that I think a lot of lawyers probably come from that space. And then it also, once you get there, right, it allows you to just overwork yourself. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of self-medicating that goes along with that in the legal profession, a lot of addiction, things like that, where then you have to figure out really how to, how to function. Yeah, interesting. I've never heard the legal profession called a noble profession before. That's, that's, that's a first. So that's it. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I thought it was the second oldest profession. I thought that was the legal profession. There you go. A very different view in the UK, I think. But it's interesting that the way you characterize that, that you're saying that the legal, the, the legal workload and anxiety stimulates people-pleasing perfectionism, because it's often seen as the other way around. That is, that's people with high perfectionism, people-pleasing, end up with anxiety. So I'm, I'm, I just want to check that I heard that right. Um... No, I think my mine definitely the, the anxiety started first. 
And then in order to hide that, in order to make everything and everyone around me think that I was fine, then I adopted the perfectionism and, you know, the controlling and the, um, the people pleasing. Yeah, that was really too, and maybe it was just my specific, under my circumstances, because I grew up in what was at times a very volatile and what I interpreted as a chaotic household, um, because there was untreated mental illness with my mother and with her mother. So there's these generational aspects to mental health as well, right? Um, So that's where I needed to control my surroundings. I need to make sure everyone around me was happy. Um, and so that I could calm everything down, which was calming down my own anxiety. So, so we better start as would be the case in a lawyer and any sort of legal proceeding with defining the terms, shouldn't we? So how are you defining anxiety? Um, I would say being in a constant state of fight or flight mode, you know, that was, Um, overstimulated for me. So I was constantly preparing for the worst. I was constantly thinking about and worrying about my own safety, the safety of others, um, the safety of of the world, you know, just taking on these um, massive ideas that a child is just not equipped to think about and ruminate on, you know, over and over. And then yeah, so, and then that would create panic attacks. So I was having panic attacks all the time right. um, because, yeah, because those stress hormones were just flooding my body all of the time and making, yeah. And I think I was reading your, and I might have re- misread this, but I think on your website it said something that I had seven types of anxiety. So it is, I was interested in that idea. So I just wondered what, what, what you think it was there. Oh, so yeah, so that's, you know, sleep anxiety, social anxiety, generalized anxiety, panic attack disorders, like when breaking it down into those categories, um, that was something on my website where, because I feel like sometimes we throw around the word anxiety so much now, especially after the pandemic, and we also panic attacks, you know, everyone's saying, oh my God, I almost had a panic attack, and it almost diminishes what a panic attack really is. You know, if you've had one, you know it, it's it's terrifying and you do think you're gonna die. And so I think that I did that to sort of break it down for people so that if they don't know quite what they're feeling, what they're going through, that they can see what the exact symptoms are there and what are some strategies and techniques that they can use immediately and over time to alleviate those symptoms. I think it's a very clever idea, actually. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because I, I totally agree with you that the words lose their meaning afterwards, like stress. And actually, mental health is going the same way, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. it's ending up as being a meaningless term. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I like the way you talk about that. Um, and so, so you're talking a lot about anxiety being overstimulation. It's a lot about thoughts by the sense of thing. That seems to be the way you're approaching it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most important things that I learned when I was really um, not functioning, really agoraphobic, um, and I was around 32, 33, you know, still having a, a job at a law firm, it was very difficult taking public transportation into Boston and having panic attacks and and in the office and trying to, um, you know, figure out how to function at a high level. Um, I learned that in trying to cope with all of it, that no physical sensation comes without a thought before it. And it was the first time I really made that connection. And it was really important for me because now there's, 
you know, now I use that in so many other ways in, in my own therapy and in helping others um, that it's really the first thing you need to do is cultivate that awareness, right? Recognize where your anxiety is being stimulated, what thought is behind it. It's yeah. just, that's really, that's really the roadmap to change, right? Finding those thoughts behind it, understanding that they're all optional and then choosing a new one that will serve you because that thought creates an emotion, creates a feeling that then stimulates your action and that creates the result that you're living with. And if you don't bring some conscious awareness to that, then you're really just reacting based on emotions and saboteurs and all of that. You've just read out one of my slides by the sound of it, because that's exactly what's on my... So, I mean, it's all CBT, as you were talking about. Right. Ellis, Ellis's work is, you know, you're, you're obviously a great proponent. And I totally agree with you. I'm a big fan as well. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the idea that you um, think meditation is an important part of uh, the toolkits to help people. So I was just wondering if you'd explore that a bit with me. Yeah, so I fired several psychiatrists when I was first looking for them because they merely suggested that I meditate. Because I thought... You know, clearly I'm not communicating properly how my brain and how my mind is working right now because there was just no way that I could sit in meditation. I thought it was all about, you know, clearing your mind and it seems quite impossible for me, hmm. which I think a lot of people, that's a big barrier, right? They're like, I can't stop my thoughts. And then when they sit and try to do it, they feel like a failure. So why would you ever want to go back to do something that's just making you feel like, you know, miserable? Yeah. But I did have when I was at the beginning of this journey looking for um, a way to start, just where do I start figuring out this whole anxiety thing and, and getting, you know, getting some relief. Um, Martha Beck, who's a big life coach over here in the US, she's Oprah's life coach. Um, I had a coaching call with her and she gave me an amazing meditation that is on my website around um, just watching a horse run in circles in this really an untamed horse, you know, un, an unbroken horse. And it's really about giving your mind those racing thoughts a place to just run and run and run. And I sat there for three weeks. She said, sit with this horse for as long as it takes until this horse stops. And it took me about three weeks, not constantly meditating. <laughs> it was a short period of time a day, right? And so much emotion and like years and years of anxious um, just anxiety that had been sitting in my body literally for so many decades. It just all came to the surface and I just was able to process all of this negative emotion. And once that horse stopped, I found this really calm center that I didn't know existed inside of me. And it was underneath, it had been buried, right? For so many years underneath all of that pain and anxiety. And I just, after that, I, I couldn't stop really. I really did so much of just sitting. And I also did during my own, um, my own journey, I did a lot of reparenting in meditation, I would just find pain points from my past that I felt like were still open wounds, and go sit with myself, you know, in those moments and ask that girl, whatever age I was, what she needed, and just sat with her and gave her kind of that love and that safety, that sense of security that she was always looking for and kind of reparented myself in those moments. And they weren't long meditations, you know, they were like 10, 15 minutes long, but really redemptive healing work, I think can be done in meditation. And there's just so many different kinds, but for people with anxiety, I definitely suggest um, more active meditations, guided meditations, because, you know, that's, a, that's just a great way 
yeah. to a good entry into it. Yeah, and it's and of course one of the challenges with this approach is that arguably you need to be slightly more rational to start it off with, and there are a lot of people out there who are just a mass of feelings and emotions and blah. Uh, you know, and they haven't, and the point of meditation is to learn to actually isolate a thought because it's a place where you spot them easily, easy and enough, and then you can do things with them. And that's the revelation point for the more feelingsy type, isn't it? So that's the part. The point of it is to build mental toughness, not to actually chant om and clear your head, because that's not the point of uh, meditation at all. Right. No, it is really to tame it, um, you know, to tame the anxious mind, which is what I call that meditation. Um it's yeah, to kind of wrangle it down to like identifying those thoughts and then observing them, right? Getting that separation so that you can see them and observe them objectively and understand where they're coming from. Either if it's like a pain point, like I said before, something that needs to be looked at, healed, forgiveness, healthy barriers, whatever you need to do with that thought or just simply dismiss it. Because a lot of anxiety is simply just another feeling, right? That's like the weather behind you that I see. <laughs> um, it's something that a lot of times can just pass right through unless we attach ourselves to it. You know, we're, we're, we're a part of the problem. A lot of the times we attach ourselves to it and identify with it. And then it becomes a part of who we are versus, like I said, gaining that separation and simply observing it. Do you think there's... Um... Do you think there's any part in reframing people's lives or uh, looking for people's triggers and all that sort of stuff? Is that part of your approach as well? Because a lot of people use the word triggering now to the point where that's become meaningless. But, you know, in psychology, we often talk about the triggers of uh, anxiety. Do you, and I know you mentioned it. Is there something you want to add to that? Yeah, um, I think there's a, a few things there. Um, for me, for so many years, so many things did trigger my anxiety. And so I just kept shutting the doors. That's a, a lot about the box that I talk about. I just kept building those walls to protect myself from those triggers versus being triggered and training your brain that you can move through that and you know understand what's happening from a biological perspective, even inside your brain when you're triggered, You know, moving into that reptilian brain and that sharpened focus and that um, fight or flight mode, you know, understanding that and being able to move through it is so that's where we build resilience, right? Versus just um, building resistance against those triggers, like not, ex not being willing to expose yourself to them. And you're just closing yourself off from so much in life. That's really what happened to me over time that I just wasn't experiencing my life at all because I felt like everything was triggering my anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? So, um, tell us a bit more about panic attacks. Cause I think you, you made a point there that actually, People talk about having panic attacks, but they've never really experienced a real one. So I think exploring that would be useful, if you wouldn't mind. Mm, yeah, my favorite topic. <laughs> um, so I had my first panic attack when I was six years old, and I had my last one probably six weeks ago. So, you know, no amount of work, I think, is really going to um, alleviate that for me. But now, once I, you know, now that I understand what really goes on, like I was saying before, once your fight or flight is triggered and you understand that it's just a thought behind it, you know, it does dump 
all of those, I talk about it, you feel like there's just flames running through your veins. You know, you feel like your body's on fire, your heart is racing uncontrollably, you're having a hard time even inhaling. It feels sometimes like somebody is suffocating you, like your throat is closing. And as you think about that, you know, it's easy to fall into a downward spiral because you really feel like this could be, you know, your last breath. Um, and for years, I thought I was broken and something was seriously wrong with me because no one else was really experiencing this that, that I knew of. But now that, like I said, now that I understand the biology, now I go, oh, of course, this is what's supposed to happen. And I go back and I try to identify that thought that caused it. But in the moment, I also have now more grounding techniques like the 54321 technique where you find five things that you can see and, you know, and I drop all language away. I stop using words because those words create sentences that form paragraphs that are stories. And the story is usually that I'm going to die. I need to get to a hospital, right? So I try to get rid of that whole narrative in my mind and just calm everything down and start, start stimulating that direct experience um, through my five senses. And that really brings me out of that reptilian triggered mode and um, calms everything down. So, yeah. Do you, um, have you come across the work of uh, Sarah McKay? No. Have a, have a butchers at her website because um, the old idea of the reptilian brain is sort of starting to be dismantled because of course we didn't evolve from reptiles. And it's one of those false labels that's appeared in psychology that everybody uses, which has no meaning anymore. So it's, um, it's worth having a look at because it's, I, mean, I think it's a great analogy, isn't it, to have this idea of this reptile brain and this, but it's sort of not true that we have anything to do with right. lizards. Right. It's quite interesting, isn't it? And that we sort of evolved in that way. It's, it's sort of, it's quite fascinating because I think it, um, I think it opens up difference. The, the idea is completely right. It's just the, the terminology. And I know you and I both are um, slightly pedantic around the words, the use of language. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. I, I just yeah. find that interesting. Um, I like yeah. to use primal sometimes. Yeah, that's a great word, isn't it? Primal is yeah. better because yeah. it, you know, it kept us safe for for hundreds yeah. of thousands of years. So. Yeah, and why not? But it is interesting that we evolved from more like a mammal or a fish. Yeah. <laughs> the fishy brain doesn't sound quite as exciting, does it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right, so you, you yes, that's right. So you mentioned a box earlier. Tell me more about the box. The box, the book, or the just the metaphor. Go for it. Which do you prefer? <laughs> well, I guess they're both um, they're both important, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of boxes that I've um, encountered in my life, but my book, you know, that does chronicle um, my journey to finding freedom from my disorders, um, is called the box, and it's really because when I was at the beginning of that journey that, that I talked about before and asking Martha Beck where to start and, you know, in that meditation um, that I was doing, I went back to this moment. I was dropped into this moment where I used to hide in this box that this big refrigerator came in, in my house and my parents kept that box for the kids to play in. And so I would play in that box. And then um, really I started hiding in the box because of the chaos that I felt outside in the world. And I realized that once they threw that box away, I kept that box, you know, emotionally. 
And that's really how, as we talked about before about the triggers, you know, I had, I was building this box and the walls were just getting thicker and taller as I grew and as my anxiety grew. And I thought it was really creating a safe place for me until, until I had this moment of, you know, moving from like contracted awareness to expanded awareness and this light went off for me and I was in a hotel room crying and, um, couldn't go out and ski that day. I was in my um, early thirties and just so paralyzed with being vulnerable, being, you know, not looking perfect, not um, just not living up to my own expectations. And um, I looked at the walls of that hotel room and I just realized I was really in a prison at that point. I was not in a box. It was a prison. And so that's really when my journey began to find my way out. And so the book, is available or is it still in preparation? Where, where are you with it? It's out. It came out um, on May 25th. So it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Walmart. Um, yeah, online where books are sold. So yeah, it's in the Amazon UK website. I'm just having a look at it here. Five, five, five star ratings. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. And so people reading this book, what can they expect to find out? For, what, what do they expect to uh, encounter in the book, uh, Wendy? Yeah, so the, the book is in four parts. It's really about building the box, you know, how we as children and young adolescents can um, adopt these things like we talked about, perfectionism and so forth, and, and how really our environment is stimulating this, um, this anxious response or can stimulate that. And then what it looks like to live inside the box, you know, that pain until until you know you're white knuckling it you're still performing at a high level but how you're really unraveling inside until you have that moment like that i just talked about where you become aware of how limited your life is and and whether or not you want to take that next journey to try and find your way to the other side into that life that's waiting for you right outside of the walls of that box and then it goes through how i really did that and what my life looks like now on the other side so it's not only, I think it's a great, for me, it became a gift to other sufferers um, to show them that they're not alone and that there's hope for healing. And um, like I said, a life beyond your diagnosis. But secondarily, I think it's really, um, I think several of those reviews that I've gotten are from people that don't suffer, but have loved ones who do, because it yeah. gives a really great window into you know, it's really raw at times. I tried to really bleed on the page, so to speak, so that people understand how debilitating, really how physically even debilitating it can be and how it affects all of your relationships. And, you know, um, so yeah, I think that um, there's a little bit for everyone in there. And I think it's really important for people who aren't suffering too, in terms of re removing the stigma of mental health that we're talking about so much now. I think that in order for them to empathize, I think that books like this can give them that sense of what it really feels like. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, and how do we find out more about you and your work, Wendy? Um, my website is wendytamisrobbins with two bs.com. Um, and there's a lot on there around, you know, my, uh, my speaking engagements, my coaching. Um, there's a lot of free resources on there, free downloads. Um, yeah, and then on Instagram, Wendy 
underscore Tamis underscore Robbins. I've met so many amazing people on Instagram in the last year, which I never thought I would say. I was so afraid of social media like a year ago. And um, it's really been wonderful during the pandemic. If you really, you know, if you create sort of healthy boundaries and, and don't get into those toxic spaces, um, it can be a real benefit. So um, yeah, I'd love to meet people there. And I'm also on LinkedIn, but everything's under Wendy Tamis Robbins. So that's pretty consistent. Brilliant. Okay. So maybe a key message to leave us with? A key message. My favorite right now is, um, you know, our purpose really is to reflect and reveal our true nature. And, you know, when, when we're struggling with things like anxiety or whatever it is in your life that's your thing, um, it's really about removing those boundaries, those barriers and stepping into that life that's waiting for you. Not, you know, finding things to add, but actually removing that static so that you can, you can live your, your best life. Brilliant. Well, today we've been with Wendy Thomas Robbins. We talked about a book, The Box, which you can find at Amazon. We talked about a website, Instagram, goodness me, whatever next, LinkedIn, all, all the, all the socials. Soon on Clubhouse, no doubt, and on TikTok, I'm hoping, especially with that crutch of yours. I'm enjoying seeing some crutch twirling. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's a really important subject. I love your approach and everything you've said. Uh, I was looking forward to having a good row, but sadly, I agree with just about everything you say. So there you go. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, so thanks for spending time with us today, Wendy. Thanks so much. It was a delight to be here. Hi everybody, I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.